0: share with you Uh, open your Bibles if you would to um, April 16th if you don't have a daily Bible some of you are still with your others then we're at uh, 2nd Samuel chapter 24 and or 1st Chronicles chapter 21 We're still talking about David, and we're going to look at an instance of David's late in his reign. He's getting, to trans- getting ready to transfer power over to Solomon, and there's an incident that occurs that is rather significant. Now we're told, if you're in the First Chronicles chapter 21, we're told that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel in the Samuel passage, it says that the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and that God incited David to take the the census. Both statements are true because God is sovereign and he can use Satan as a tool and as an instrument of his own will. So though they seem to be at odds on the surface, they are not really. We don't know for sure why God was angry at Israel We don't know for sure over what reason uh, Satan rises up against Israel. Possibly God could be angry with him because of the two previous rebellions. One, where Absalom rebelled against his father David, and secondly, where Sheba uh, revolted also. But I don't think that's really the issue. The issue is David is presented with a choice. David is presented with an opportunity. We have been talking about Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Uh, This week, Thursday or Friday morning it was, I forget which day, I was coming into the church, and a member of our congregation was coming out, and he and I are good friends, and uh, he said, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm thankful. <laughs> and he wasn't exactly feeling thankful that day, and so I, I encouraged him. I said, how are you? <laughs> thankful. <laughs> I said, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. Even if you don't feel thankful, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to be thankful. Don't let the guard down. Because every time we let the guard down, the enemy is going to come in and try to sift us. We have an incident right here. David uh, has paid a a, a terrible price. We saw that last week, did we not? Mm -hmm. In the uh, incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. Terrible cost. Lost uh, the infant son. Disciplined by the Lord. Chased out of the palace by his own son Absalom. Terrible cost for not guarding his heart. And he's provided here with another opportunity to trust the Lord. But in the face of some threat, in the face of some issue that has arisen, David succumbs to the temptation to trust in his armies, to trust in his military might. And so he sends Joab, his general, out with all his uh, lieutenants to go throughout the entire land of Israel and Judah and count, take a census of those who are capable of war. It takes him over nine months to make the count. The question for us is when things threaten, even when they're not threatening to us, what are we trusting in? There's no word here that David inquires of the Lord. There's no word. If you look back a page and we examine the, the three years of famine, we're told in 2 Samuel 21.1 that in the midst of this famine, David inquires of the Lord. He goes and seeks the Lord. He says, Lord, what should we do? But now he's given another opportunity, and life is like that. God presents us with all sorts of opportunities to make decisions for his glory, to use our gifts, abilities, talents, resources for his glory. Don't we say for the kingdom? Yes. Whose kingdom do we mean? Yes. His kingdom. Do you know that, that, that all that we have has come from his hand? Everything we have has come from His hand. Our very life, our thoughts, our capacity to think, our families, our money, our jobs, our gifts, talents, abilities, you name it, on and on and on. All of this comes from His hand. Now, why does He provide these things? For us merely to indulge ourselves, to use them as an, as, a, as an end in themselves, or as a means to an end. A means to an end. What's that end? His glory. The expansion of his kingdom. Think about this. There is no greater thing that you and I can do. There is no more awesome opportunity that you and I can be involved in than the expansion of the kingdom of God. Somehow participating in the great work of bringing people to know Jesus, of seeing people's lives healed and restored set free and given a a hope of glory. Isn't that true? There is no greater, more significant thing that you and I could do. Now, does that mean that you should all be vocational ministers? No. But it does mean that we need to recognize that everything we have is from God, and it's been given to us for a specific purpose. It's not an end in itself. It's not an end in itself, and, and these things are not given to us. These gifts, abilities, whatever it is, they are not for us to indulge ourselves in. That doesn't mean that we're to be all paupers and, and sell everything and give it to the poor, then come follow Jesus, only if those things become your gods. So David is presented with another opportunity. We understand, We don't understand all the background to it because there's no information given. There's some speculation. But really, we don't know what's going on the bottom line is David has a choice to make. Am I going to inquire of the Lord? Am I going to go to the Lord and trust in Him? Or am I going to let my guard down and go number the men and make sure I have a strong army? What am I trusting in? What am I trusting in in my life? So he tells Joab to go count all the fighting men. He comes. Joab comes back after nine plus months, and he tells David there's 1.1 million, roughly, of men who can wield a sword. Then I want you to notice something. Joab doesn't even complete the count. We're told that he doesn't even include Levi and Benjamin because the king's command was repulsive to him. He couldn't even finish it because it was just too grievous to him. In fact, earlier on, when David gives him the command to do it, Joab objects. He says, we shouldn't do this thing because it'll bring God's wrath on us. David, you're looking just to trust in the army. You're looking just to trust in the stuff, your own abilities, your own talents. We have to go before the Lord and inquire of him. And now we're told that the command was evil, not just in the sight of Joab, but also in the sight of the Lord. And so God punishes Israel. You say, well, that's unfair. Why does God punish Israel if it's David's decision not to go inquire of the Lord? Because I think that it's instructive for us to see that the decisions you and I make impact other people's lives. And when you and I don't inquire of the Lord, there is effect. Oftentimes a negative effect. When we go rushing off, trusting in the resources that that we can assemble, that we can put together, we can bring together. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your way straight. Don't lean on your own understanding. This is becoming so powerfully real to me more and more and more. Inquire of the Lord be willing to wait upon the Lord. Because as we do, certainly things are going to get a little scary. Certainly we're going to have to deal with our impatience. But, But the whole exercise, I am utterly convinced, is designed to teach us to wait upon Him and to trust Him in the face of sometimes very scary circumstances. God wants us to learn to trust Him. Any parent understands that. Any parent understands they want their kids to trust them. And not to rush off foolishly, trusting in their own devices, their own limited abilities, to try to accomplish something that they'll never really be able to accomplish. Am I making sense to you? And so we see here an account. Now listen, you'd think David would have learned by now, wouldn't you? A man after God's heart he does learn but he's still imperfect and he's still flawed and there's still gonna be times when he lets his guard down and the enemy can come in and sift and all this is for our benefit that we might learn Peter says, be on your guard. And the idea behind the Greek is continuously be on your guard, not just once in a while. Always be on your guard. For why? Your enemy, the devil, is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeing who he can come and sift. Devour. So we've got to be on our guard. Keep our guard up. Above all else, guard your heart. So when I told my friend, I'm thankful, I meant it. And there are times when I don't always feel thankful, but I'm still going to say I am thankful because I am thankful. I'm going to keep my guard up. And he's banging on my door. He wants to get at me. And I know it. But I'm keeping my guard up. You aren't getting in here. You aren't going to come and sift me. And so what happens, David confesses to the Lord. He says, I have sinned greatly by doing this. I have presumed to trust in my own strength and my own armies and the resources that I have here without ever consulting you. I've sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Underline that. I have done a very foolish thing. Because every time you trust in your own resources and you do not inquire of the Lord, you do not wait upon the Lord, you have done a very foolish thing. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, another one of the prophets, go and tell David this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So here comes God's judgment. Does God hate David? No. When you discipline your children, do you hate them? No. But you know they've got to be disciplined. I told my son the proverbial statement. Every parent tells his kids, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. (laughs) It didn't compute with him, just like it didn't compute with me when my dad said it to me. It grieves the Lord to have to discipline us. But it's vital, because if he doesn't, we will not divest ourselves of our foolishness. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and it's driven out with the rod of discipline. Same thing is for us. So here comes some discipline. God's going to discipline David. He's going to show him that his choice to not trust in him, to not inquire of him, is a costly choice. He's the king. He's the head. He's the leader. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine... Three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. So he's got three years, three months, or three days of destruction to contend with. God is just going to demonstrate to him, look it. In three days, three months, or three years, I can take away whatever you've been trusting in. You've got an army of 1.1 million? I could decimate it. You've got to learn to trust me. The rich young ruler. What good thing must I do to be saved? (laughs) Jesus said, get rid of your idol. What was his idol? Money. Get rid of that which you're trusting in. Get rid of all your money. Go give it all to the poor. Sell everything. Give it all to the poor. Then you can follow me. Let's go to David's response. This is great. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Oh, I'm bummed, man. This is is a bummer. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. You know what he's saying? I'm not going to make the choice. God, your will be done. <laughs> Is he learning? Sure. He's not even going to make the choice. He says, Lord, your will be done. Just don't let me fall into the hands of my enemies, of men. Whatever discipline you choose, I'll submit. That's what he's saying. We want to minimize it. We say, well, let's see what's going to be least costly. <laughs> and we try to nip the corners and, you know, rather than saying, Lord, your will be done, you know best. It takes courage to say that your will be done. Most of us, when we say it, sometimes I doubt doubt very seriously if we really understand what we're saying. Because if we did, we'd be hard-pressed to say it. God, your will be done. Those words caused me to tremble. (laughs) Uh So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Now, it doesn't reflect it in the... New International Version Translation, but in some of the others, uh, we have insight that that God cut short the plague from three days to one day. Seventy thousand men died in one day. God demonstrated his power to remove that which we trust in just like that. He can take it away just like that. What are we glorying in? What are we holding on to? What gives our life meaning and significance? What are the things that, sur- that, that, that detract from our saying, God, my trust and my hope is in you. Not in anything else, not in any other person. My hope is in you. I will learn to inquire of you. I will learn to wait upon you. For I know that that my gifts, abilities, talents, job, family, whatever can be taken from me in an instant. You want me to learn to trust you? I fear God in a healthy way. He is an awesome God. And He's not unrighteous, He's not mean, He's not a curmudgeon. But he loves me and he knows what is utterly, absolutely best for my life. Just like in some small measure, I think I know what's best for my son. And I am determined to work out my will for my son's life as I understand it the best. And God is determined to work his will out in my life. Sometimes I learn hard. Sometimes I learn costly. It doesn't always have to be that way, you know that? It doesn't always have to be that way. So the plague comes, and we're told that God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem, even. I mean, the plague is coming over the whole land, and it's approaching the holy city, Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough. Withdraw your hand. Halt after just one day. And the angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. It just so happens that the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, happened to be on Mount Moriah. You know, do you remember another event that happened at Mount Moriah? A guy by the name of Abraham took his boy, his only boy, up there, offered him to the Lord. This is, this is wonderful. This shows us that when, when we repent, even the most drastic and desperate and tragic circumstances, God will turn them around and use them for our good when we repent you know what he's gonna do here he stops the angel right there at Mount Moriah because that is where the temple is gonna be God demonstrates his mercy on that spot to all Israel to David to Jerusalem and the temple is gonna be planted right there the place of mercy the place where the the great altar of the burnt offering is gonna be right there on the threshing floor God says halt right there my servant david has seen the error of his ways he's repented he's turned around coincidence coincidence that the angels should stop there no of course not seems like it though huh now look at this david looked up and saw the angel of the lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over jerusalem And then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. Imagine they were in terror and grief. David, no longer with any semblance of arrogance, pride, fell down, face down on the ground. And then David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep, what have they done? O oh, Lord my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. So David intercedes. He prays, the plague will not go any further. And then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to go tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that God had spoken in the name of the Lord. And while Aruna was threshing wheat, now look at this, while Aruna was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. Now you're Aruna, you're, you're just busy threshing your wheat. All of a sudden you turn around and you see this huge honking angel with a big sword drawn. <laughs> that get your attention? Yeah, in fact, his four boys are there with him, and they, they go hide. And then David approaches. So Aruna's going, angel, drawn sword, David, something's up. <laughs> Something big is happening. And look what happens. David comes and he says, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Aruna is not about to bargain. He's got one eye on that angel, one eye on David, and he responds, and says, take it. It's yours. Uh, let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give even the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood. We'll dismantle the whole place here, and it will all go for the sacrifice. I'll even give the wheat. Can you imagine that angel looking over his shoulder? Do you think that had any effect on him? I think it did. It would me. Do you suppose Aruna's response would be like that if the angel had not been there? Why do you think the angel was there and made himself visible to Aruna in the first place? I think to make that impact. Here comes David. David says, Give me the threshing floor. I want to build an altar. Well, I don't know, King. You know, i got to do my thing here, and how about later on? And I'm right in the middle of my work, and do we ever do that? Yeah, we do. Sure we do. When the Lord taps us and calls us or sends a messenger, do we always respond? Oh, right away. Drop everything right away. When somebody pops into your mind, you haven't seen in a while, or you know they're struggling, do you drop everything and call them? Write them a note? Pray for them? Do we say, well, later? We kind of try to log it back there someplace, and we we'll do it later. Now, how would it be if a huge, honking angel with a big sword came... <laughs> and said uh, mention someone's name oh maybe I better pray I think we're slow on the uptake but Aruna, in this particular case isn't he he's just gonna give it all but I want you to see something about David David's not gonna take it for nothing David says I think one of the most significant things I've ever read in the scriptures No, he says, I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I'm not going to do that which is just perfunctory. I'm not going to give that which doesn't cost me anything. I want it to stretch me. For if it's going to mean anything to him, it's got to cost me something. Because it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me. If it doesn't mean anything to me, it isn't going to mean anything to him. Sometimes we give real inexpensive gifts. We have a word for that. It's called cheap. <laughs> to people we love and care for, at least we say. And we just give them some, just kind of perfunctory. we say, well, it's just the thought that matters. Yeah, what kind of thought are you thinking? <laughs> but if that person is really significant to you in your life, and you really want to minister and bless them, you give them a gift that is what? Costly. God has given us everything everything and he's given us everything as i said earlier to give them back to him to use them in his service and how do we do it in a very casual convenient manner that which is easy for us to do or that which is costly do you know that god gave us these bibles do you know that god gave us these bibles he put it in F. Lagarde's head to write this daily Bible. Then he came along after the Bible was printed and put it in my head that we should read this Bible. And do you know what? Can you imagine this? There are still some in the body who are not reading it. There are still some, even probably, maybe one or two here tonight. I won't ask for a show of hands who are not stretching themselves to read three to four to five pages a day. Do you, can you imagine that? And as they read it, they're not stretching themselves to pray over it and say, God, speak to my heart these 15 minutes that I'm giving you. It's awfully quiet in here. He's given us all sorts of resources. We recruited, thank God, 100 people last weekend for our high school, junior high and high school ministry. At least 100 people who were interested in looking. We don't know how many people really come out of that. We're recruiting all weekend for our puppet ministry. We're recruiting uh, next month for our children's ministry. We need over 200 people to work with our children. And we're praying now. We're praying, saying, God, Put it in people's hearts. Now, Lord, get people geared up. Get them thinking in that direction so that when we come and we say, we need help with our children, that 200-plus people would just come streaming down the aisle and say, count me, and I'm going to do it. I'm committed. Because God has given me much, and I can share some with little ones. Time, energy, talents, abilities finances. He's given all these things to us from his hand. He says, now inquire of me how you should use these things. Wait upon me, let me show you. If you can do it without stretching, God isn't in it. He didn't talk to you. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of it. Because God wants to do great and mighty things through his people. Great and mighty things. So that everybody knows it's God, not just us. And so it requires that we step out there by faith. Whoa. Faith. Oh, Oh, that's nervous territory. Faith. God wants us to trust him for great and mighty things. Great and mighty things. Great and mighty things. Only the things that he can do. Paul says, it is not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This life that I live in the flesh, I live by the power of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we say to the Lord, I'm not going to offer you a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Lord, I want to serve you with whatever it is you put into my hands. I'm not satisfied with just coming to church and sitting. I'm not satisfied with just keeping my mouth shut in the workplace. I'm not satisfied with keeping my mouth shut in the neighborhood. God, I want to do something significant. I want to be involved with you in something significant, something that I'm in over my head that I can't do. (laughs) Whoa. Is this guy serious? Yes. God's serious. I I love that sentence that David says. I'll not sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I'll not sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Then the whole rest of the section is is talking about the temple being built on this site. David also realizes that God wants a temple built right here, the place where he will be worshipped, the place where the, the whole nation would come together the centerpiece of not only the the civil life, but also the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. The temple would be symbolic of their devotion to him, to the Lord. And so David addresses his son Solomon. He says, "I, I had it in my heart to build the temple, but God says, no, because you're a man of war, but your son Solomon will build it. And I'll give you all the diagrams and all the plans and all the wherewithal but Solomon will build it. So David speaks to Solomon and he challenges all the leaders to assist. He says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, in verses 17 through 19, David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? Right? Isn't God with us? Yes. Has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has handed the inhabitants of the land over to me, and the land is subject to the Lord and his people. Now look at this. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Jesus says something very similar. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first your kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And then all these other issues that you're concerned about that are occupying all your thoughts and energy, God will take care of them. That's what he says. He says. That's a blank check. check. Devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Now, how how are they going to work that out? How are they going to work that out? With every arena of their life. Turn over to chapter 28. April 18th. After David arranges for the transition between he and his son Solomon, he arranges all the, the sectors of the government. And then we see that he calls a, 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 a meeting, an assembly, presents, da- presents Solomon once again. And then David challenges not only his son Solomon, but also the people. And it's all focused around the building of the temple the church this is we are the church now we happen to house ourselves in a building we've got to have a building we got to have a place to meet but we are the church and as david challenged israel to participate actively and sacrificially in the building up of the temple so also we must challenge ourselves to be actively involved in the building up of the temple of the holy spirit not just one body, but many come together. Does that make sense to you? And he says, Throw every resource into it. Throw every resource into it. Don't hold back anything. In chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, he says to Solomon, his son, Serve God with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, consider now for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Be it formal or informal ministry. Wherever you find yourself, prayerfully considering, seeking God. Lord, how can I be used right here? How can I blossom where I'm planted? I don't want to have to go through years of seminary. How can I blossom right here? How can you use me right here? Inquire of the Lord. And understand that when he speaks to you, when he guides you, when he gives you a vision of something he wants you to be involved in with him, it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be bigger than you. We look for that which is easy. We look for that which is easy that we can do. It won't create too many ripples, too much inconvenience. When God says something, you go, oh, that wasn't God. There's no way that can happen. Oh, yeah? Give him a try. Take a step of faith. woo here we go. So he encourages Solomon, and look at this. Then he turns to all of his people and he says this, chapter 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. In other words, he needs help. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. No one person can build the kingdom of God. The task is great, everybody's got to be involved. Everybody's got to be committed. Not just the fabulous 400. Everybody, if you name yourself a Christian, and you appreciate the fact that you have eternal life, your sins are forgiven, and God calls you to participate actively and vitally, forcefully, if you will, into the furtherance of the building up of the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. He says, with all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, with, all my, with everything I have at my disposal, I didn't hold back anything. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, etc., etc. All of these, he says, in large quantities. And besides... In my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my own personal treasure, that which I've set aside. I give my own personal treasure. Not just the spoils of war, not just what's in the temple treasury, not just what's in the treasury of of Israel, but I give my own personal treasure out of my devotion to the temple of my God. And he says, now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Who's willing to follow my example, he says. Who's willing to come after me? And be stretched. Because they're devoted. Because they're devoted. Who is willing? Anybody. And we're told... And then the leaders of families and the officers of tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. After David's personal example, after what they'd seen God do in his life, after his testimony of faith, who could hold back? Who could indeed hold back? And they, they just they run forward. And they gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, uh, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had any precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly David is just going, wow, look at this, is great, oh God, the people are moving. The people are going, the people are going for it, they're getting involved. God, your work, for your glory. David's, ex- he's beside himself. Would you be excited? Oh, yeah. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you. And praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight. As were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. Now look at this next sentence. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. What's God doing? He wants to build into us what? A godly... Character. The essence of godly character is integrity. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. God challenges us every single day of our life. Trust me. Let me stretch you. Guard your heart. Keep that guard up. He says, all these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen how... With joy, how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. David knows how fickle the human heart can be. God, we need your help that we'd stay devoted to you and keep the desire alive in us to be devoted to you. He says, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. The whole group of them fell flat on their face before the Lord and before the king in an act of acknowledging his sovereignty they were absolutely stripped at that point of all their pride and dignity in the sense that they would not bow. They would not fall down. They fall down, every single one of them. Isn't that a glorious picture? Because why? They had given themselves. They had given themselves. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart also. If you're lukewarm, if you're cold, if you can take God, if you can leave him, if you just lip service, that means that your treasure is not with him. Your treasure is elsewhere. Because if it were with him, he'd have your heart. He'd have your heart. So God gives us choices every day. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to trust in our stuff, our own resources, or are we going to bring them and devote them to him for His glory. Amen? Amen. Pray, Pray with me. Father, we are so often slow to hear. There is so much that distracts us, clamors for our attention, clamors for our energy, so much that seems to just almost subtly creep up and begin to take priority over the things of your kingdom. And Lord, we find ourselves just coming to a place where all we do is come to church. And sometimes we can't even make that. And that's the extent of our worship. That's the extent of our involvement. God, I pray that you would deliver us from that I pray that your spirit would instill into every single one of us a zeal for your house, a zeal for your kingdom, a zeal for your glory. Lord, I hunger for that more and more in my own life. Lord, I know that when we ask for these things, you look into our hearts to see if we really mean them. You read our hearts. You don't want us to just bring empty words. Father, I make bold to pray and to say your will be done in my life. Your will be done in my life. Is there anybody who will say that with me? Just speak it out. Your will be done in my life. Lord, whatever it is, however you want to stretch me, whatever things you present me with, I want to be smack in the center of your will your will be done in my life we bless you father we worship you tonight lord we know that you are faithful that you are working in us you don't sleep i pray that as a result of our time this evening together that we would leave here strengthened encouraged committed that, Lord, you would have put these things into our heart and that we will not forget them. We will not lose track. We will, above all else, guard our heart and keep that guard up, inquiring of you, seeking for you every day. Strengthen us, Lord. We give you thanks. Amen.